and welcome to um, another episode of the Simply Medics podcast. This is episode three of our Black History Month special. If you've not checked out episode one and two, make sure you do. Um, today we have a guest joining us, but I'll leave that to Emanuela. Um, so we hope you just follow us w- through this Black History Month special as we have guests and we just talk about Black history and we're celebrating people really making a difference um, here in the UK regarding Black medics. Um, so over to you, Emanuela. So without ado, I'd like to introduce the amazing Monique Jade. She's a co-founder of the African Caribbean Medical Mentors and also a fellow podcaster. Her podcast name is Generation Medicine and she runs that with a fellow podcaster, Todd, who's also a medical student. Welcome, Monique. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me um, on the podcast. Thank you for accepting our invitation and joining us. We're so excited to do this episode with you to find out more about who you are, find out more about ACMM. So, before we start, how's your week been? Um, my week's been, it's been interesting. Um, I've had uh, my first week in GP um, because they've changed things. So I have to do one virtual week and one week in person. Um, so that was actually really good because I've got to see patients, which I haven't been able to do in a while. Um, so that was quite exciting. Draining, but like really exciting. So yeah, I've actually had quite a good week. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds really good. Did you get to do much of the patients? Like, Well, yeah. So we kind of just like observed the GP consultation, um, took some blood um, and stuff like that. But it was just nice to be able to talk to a patient. And it was a quite a complex patient as well. So we were with her for like an hour and a half, um, just going wow. through different things and like comforting her. And she mm. was quite anxious and stuff like that. So it just like reminded me kind of why I'm in med school, because I haven't yeah. been able to see patients as often um, as I'm used to. So yeah, that was really nice. I actually missed those days of having time to speak to patients and not being rushed off to do war jobs. Like I actually miss it. It sounds like GP is very different though from everyone I've spoken to. Like it's just very virtual. Whereas like, um, oh, I start my placement next week, but I I think I'll still be able to see patients, even though my supervisor was telling me it's going to be difficult, um, Mm -hmm. but it's still possible. But GP is just a different ball game. Yes, I was actually really lucky. My um, GP supervisor, like, obviously she understands everything has to be virtual, but she'll get patients in if she can. um, So we can see, so we get like a better learning experience. Um, So she did kind of, (laughs) she basically said to another patient, like, I really need to see you, like, come into the surgery. Um, And so we got to see two. So I'm actually quite lucky because, yeah, it is mostly virtual or phone um, Mm -hmm. consultation. So, yeah, I was lucky on the week I came in that um, I had a patient. Oh, that's, yeah. that's actually super good I think as a medical student you learn more when you see when you see people yeah. and you're able to see their you know their facial expressions you're able to see physical signs so that's what you're going to be seeing in real life you need to be able to see the signs and symptoms not just in a textbook but on an actual person mm. mm-hmm. definitely and I think that's how med school like teaches us to learn as well um mm-hmm. because everything is like in clinicals like see as many patients as possible and you'll learn really well um so I felt lucky to kind of have that have that experience mm. definitely gosh I can't imagine like doing medical school during the pandemic I just can't <laughs> even begin to fathom how, how it feels like to be having virtual clinics and not being able to see patients all the time and go on the wards whenever you want to to examine patients I yeah. just can't even think I'd, I would say medical school during the pandemic is just literally uncertainty multiplied by like mm. three because it's like everything it's just told to you very last minute because like nobody knows what's going on and then all of a sudden like there's changes in the rules and that affects yeah. students and I've never lived with this so much uncertainty but I'm just like I'll just go with the flow I can't stress myself I've got enough stress already yeah no exactly it's so uncertain and it's hard because like it's not the uni's fault it's because they don't know what's going on until really last mm. minute as well um but I suppose just got to try and be be flexible um with it that's the only thing we can do it I think it's going to be like this for quite a long time as well so we just kind of need to make some headway in accepting it that's true I think in general this whole year has been one a whole year of uncertainty and not knowing what's going on so even in in the hospitals we'd have a clue what's going on I'd have a clue what's going on in terms of COVID Mm. I know we've got COVID patients and I've seen some but in terms of you know what's the protocol all these things it's very hard no one actually has any solid plans we're just 
dealing with it as it comes. I think when our government is solid, it, the rest will follow. I have been saying this, like, they've been saying second wave, second wave since June, July. Mm. We're now in October. Please, you should have had a solid plan by now. Exactly. It's not like, it's not like you didn't see this happening. You saw this happening. You were talking about it. Mm. And now it's happened. Everyone's acting as if, oh, it's unexpected. Yeah, as if it's a surprise. Like <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned to me, um, if you don't mind talking about it, how you saw like a COVID patient this week and you were actually managing them, right? Yes. So I was on call Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, post-take. And one of our patients was COVID positive. And I was just like, wow, like I was, I, I was out of my depth. I was actually out of my depth. Because when I saw the deterioration of the patient, the patient was fine in the morning, got to 10, 11. I got called to come, come see this patient because, you know, they're desaturating. Um, just not looking too good mm. so I went to see this patient next minute I was like oh my goodness this guy is actually really unwell and over the next couple of hours he just started to deteriorate to the point where you know, I had to like escalate it speak to my um, SHO speak to the registrar get the medical registrar involved you know got scans and seeing the difference between morning scan and afternoon scan the findings were so different. Like the start, I was like, wait, is this how quickly you deteriorate with COVID? This is crazy. But yeah, it was my first ever time managing a COVID positive patient and seeing them deteriorate so rapidly. As, it's just crazy. So the government a few days ago introduced this three tier system in the UK. Tier one is medium risk. So people have to adhere to the current social distancing measures, the rule of six and curfew of 10 p.m. on pubs. Tier two is high risk. So again, it's the same restrictions as tier one, plus a ban on household mixing, indoors and overnight stays. So if you want to go to your friend's house, you can't, but you can meet up, let's say, in the cafe or in the pub or even in a, in a public space. Um, tier three, which is the very high risk category, pubs and bars are required to close with furlough style compensation for staff and support for businesses. However, restaurants and gastropubs could be spared and in line with the national 10 p.m. closing time and still be allowed to serve alcohol with substantial meals. There's a ban on household mixing in the very high risk group. You can't meet families within indoors, but you can meet in a public space, just not a garden. So if I want to go see my friends and I live in a high risk category, the very high risk category, we can't meet in my garden, but we can meet, let's say, in the park and then lastly um gyms leisure centers also have to close in very high risk groups so ladies which 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 area are you in and which which category is your area at the moment um i'm in birmingham so i study at birmingham and i'm currently in the tier two um so i think coming out of we were already in that lockdown so there hasn't been any changes that I'm aware of anyway um so yeah I'm on the one that we can go out in public but not I can't go to anyone else's house um and yeah it's been I mean it's kind of how things were before so I think that's helped because it's not like a big drastic um change but as cases rise there's a likelihood that I'll go into the tier three so they're very high risk and then I think things will change quite a lot there um and also my birthday's coming up so I'm a bit sad that <laughs> all of these restrictions and stuff have come in around that time um but you know it's a pandemic so there's more important things than my birthday <laughs> oh that's so uh, sad hopefully you can do something post pandemic to celebrate maybe but I don't know when post pandemic is looking <laughs> is looking like it's coming so I might just be like it's a small celebration this year and then see what we can do yeah yeah um so I'm well as of today been in tier two for the longest time and then um, I'm in Lancaster and we're now in tier three so basically full lockdown essentially um Mm. I don't know I've always said (laughs) I've always said that Lancaster was locked down before lockdown was a thing because (laughs) everything closed at 10 anyway (laughs) 5 p.m things closed at 5 p.m not 10 oh my gosh yeah that was the biggest shock when I first came to Lancaster imagine I'm pulling up to the shops around 4 30 to 
to get things from Superdrug. And we hear is, do, do, this shop will be closing soon. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, but um, since we've been in tier two for a long time, um, I think I've kind of gotten used to it, especially the no household mix in because I've, I've really had to put my foot down because um, as a medical student, you get like an email from the med school and they're even telling you like, no household mixing, try to avoid this, try to avoid that because mm. you're already at risk of getting COVID just by being on placement. Mm. So don't mm. now add to it by having people around your house and like not following the rules and stuff. Yeah. So my big thing is there's no proper enforcement. I yeah. feel like if I've seen somebody like actual actually make the news, people who've really been heavily fined or actually been kind of thrown in jail because of it, everybody would take it a lot more seriously. And that's the issue. That's the, that's been the issue since lockdown started, though. In March, people have been fined, but it's not been, been making news the way that it should be. I think that's the other issue. Yeah, I think people also like have got tired of it mm. I think there's just like general fatigue with the rules and they're changing and I think also mm. like people have lost well if you trusted the government before I think a lot of people have lost trust as well so I think that doesn't help when they're now introducing new rules because people are like mm. well you guys haven't really done a great job so far um everything seems quite late so now introducing these rules I think people don't care and I think a lot of people unless they have people who are vulnerable um or like uh like us and in care and I guess more aware they just see it as not that important, stick to the rules. And I think people forget how many people will think the same as them. So I'm not sticking to rules, but everyone else is. But actually, that's not the case. Definitely. I agree, actually. I think the other issue is the government themselves. Senior officials are not adhering to the rules either. So it's basically mocking what the general public are doing. Definitely. There was that um, MP from Scotland who tested positive knew she had symptoms still got on a train all the way from Scotland to London to do something in the house of commons and then went Mm. back and it's like and then they um I read an article the other day and it was like the police decided not to do anything about it and it's like so how are you gonna if people who are responsible or essentially you expect them to set an example and even they're not really you know, facing mm. the um, consequences of their action, then, you know, Joe Bloggs in public is going to do what they want. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely. And even, like, um, that guy who drove, I can't remember who it was, but someone drove bare to test their eyesight. Yeah, and it's like, and, it's, and the thing is, it's that you didn't even, he should have just admitted it. Like, you know what? I messed up. I apologise. That would have been well received because I think we're all human and we know that Mm. lockdown has been extreme and nobody, you know, chooses to do it. So we would have had sympathy. But you basically said that everyone is silly because (laughs) you think like spec savers, they can be like, okay, guys, like, not sure, like, if you can see, but go and drive for miles. Like, it just didn't make any sense. So I think that, again, makes people be like, why should I even bother when the people who are enforcing and making these rules aren't either? That's the that's the leaders that we have in this country. Nothing yeah. we could do about it. Some quick fire round questions, so we can get to know you a bit more. Sure. So, um, just first thing that comes to mind. So, as we've just spoken about lockdown, something new. You um, is there anything new you done in lockdown? Oh, new. Uh, I don't think so. I actually don't think so, which is quite boring. Um, But I feel like I was doing a lot of stuff anyway. Actually, that is a lie. That is a lie. My podcast, (laughs) Generation Medicine, is... How can I forget that? Um, Yeah, that's the thing that I started that was new. Um, I did start Spanish for a little bit, but that's that's not continued. So, yeah, I would say my podcast is the biggest thing. I think that I've started new. Oh, cool. Um, Last holiday you went on? Uh, Italy at the beginning of the year, for New Year. Nice. Um, favorite meal? Um, oxtail rice and peas, coleslaw, fried dumpling, um, plantain salad. I'm hungry. Can tell. <laughs> oh God, it's been so long since I've had like Jamaican food. I would say the same, but it's it's not like <laughs> I'm half Jamaican, so I have it all the time. I haven't had oxtail in a while. So I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> and to be fair, you're in Birmingham, so it's like 
accessible compared to yeah Lancaster anyway <laughs> yeah from you said the shops close at five like <laughs> I don't think there's much hope up there um if you could be part of a tv family um which tv family would it be um Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's family I feel like that answer is very popular out of the, the whole family who who whose character would you like to play Ashley yeah she's so cute isn't she she's just cute she just lives her best life like her outfits are always banging um she's so, yeah. mm-hmm. honestly she's multi-talented so I feel like that would be me Hillary I like but Hillary's also annoying so I feel like I would want to be her full-time <laughs> yeah I get that um so as a fellow podcaster what other podcasts are you listening to um I really like true crime like I really really like true crime um so I'm currently listening to the red-handed podcast um which is basically two girls who just talk about like really interesting true crime stories like here um and around the world um so that's actually the one I've been listening to for quite a while because they have so many episodes um so yeah I would recommend that for anyone who likes like murders and and stuff (laughs) I also listen to zero to finals um because they do like a 10 minute synopsis of conditions and it's really good like driving or something um to revise so yeah 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 I like them as well um speaking of zero to finals actually what's your top revision techniques oh pressure um (laughs) I think doing MCQs so all my exams apart from Moskies are MCQs so practicing MCQs and I've recently started doing like I think it's called active recall where like instead of making notes I'll read something and ask write my write down questions about it and then just continually test myself on the questions um and then like mark the ones that I'm struggling with and go over them so just basically like space repetition and Um, asking questions is what really works for me Um, and also talking things out loud Um, so sometimes if I'm driving I'll just be like "Mm, what's the management for this disease and I'll talk it through Um, because that's yeah that's what helps for me but I think learning your learning and knowing your learning style um, helps because that technique might not work for people so I think know how you learn first and then you can fit revision like around that so um after a hard day of uni or placement what's your kind of unwinding routine um as soon as I get home I have a shower um do like my skincare um listen to music and I read sometimes um if I'm not reading I might journal um catch up with my phone because during the day I don't really reply to people so reply emails any like admin stuff um and then watch some tv eastenders obviously i like to watch so yeah i know that you were a graduate um you're a graduate medic yeah can you tell us a bit more about your story and how you got into medicine yeah so basically i wanted to be a doctor from when i was like 15 16 um it was when i was doing my gcses and um the school I was at had it was a state school but it had like I think three or four people generally speaking per year um who got into medicine and they kind of said oh like have you considered it as an option um and I hadn't previously so I got some work experience and obviously was good at science I was like okay like I can see myself doing this um so from there that was like my goal um I had an offer at undergraduate level for Birmingham um but I didn't do well in my A level so like my A2 year um I didn't do well I just don't think I believed in myself and I kind of felt like I was gonna fail and then yeah it was just a bit of a mess (laughs) so I didn't get um the A level grades I needed to secure my offer um and then Birmingham offered me biomedical science instead um so I was like at this point I don't really have any other options um so I did biomedical science um for three years at Birmingham um got a first in that and then that allowed me to go straight on to the graduate medicine course um because they have like an internal interview scheme um so if throughout your biomedical science degree you're like getting good grades and you're contributing to university and like being academic rep and like all stuff like that um then you can get a guaranteed interview and then it depends how well you do in your interview um so for graduate medicine 
I got an interview, an offer from Birmingham, uh, Nottingham and Liverpool. Um, and I chose to stay at Birmingham um, because I wanted to study medicine in the first place. And um, at the time I was living in London and Liverpool and Nottingham were just kind of further than I kind of wanted to go from home. Yeah. Um, especially as a graduate student as well. Like all my friends from uni had graduated and I'm a little bit older. Um, so I mm. wanted to still be able to go home if I wanted to. Um, so yeah, so I'm in my second to last year, which is crazy, um, of graduate medicine at Birmingham. So that's like how how I got here in a wow. in a nutshell. Yeah. Do you feel like time has flown by with, like really quickly over these um, past few years? Yeah, definitely. Because I'm literally doing seven straight years of uni, and yeah. I'm in my sixth. And when I say that to people, like, yeah, I'm in my penultimate, yeah, I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> where has this time gone? Um, and I think, especially because obviously my the end of my last year was in lockdown, that kind of made it go, I suppose, quicker because there wasn't that usual, like, okay, exams are over, transition. Um, I just came home and then now I'm in my next year. Um, but yeah, it has gone really quickly. I mean, I'm ready, but I'm also like, oh my gosh, I've just been <laughs> Like, all my other friends um, are, well, most of my other friends are like, you know, working or have, well, one of my friends has kids or whatever. Um, so they're like living their adult lives. And I'm like, I've just been a student. I don't know what it means to work like full time. I've, I've had loads of jobs, but like, I don't know what it means to work full time. So yeah, it's gone really quickly. <laughs> you kind of like talked over it really quickly, but like from going to saying how you didn't really believe in like yourself in A2 to being like a graduate, getting free offers. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, you did. You've done amazing, to be honest. You've done really, really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I was quite like shocked because obviously graduate medicine, the unis I applied for as well were quite small. Um, so like my main aim was like getting an offer from Birmingham. Um, but then when I got the other two offers, I was like, oh, okay, like I can, I can actually do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think like I had a like quote which I use for like other students that I speak to now is that like if the university thinks you're good enough, like, why don't you sort of thing? And I think that's what I had in my undergrad. I had like the mentality of like, oh, like, I don't know if it was imposter syndrome or just like feeling like I wasn't good enough Mm. to do it. I was going to fail. Even though I had an offer for medicine at university. So Mm. then when I went through my biomedical science degree, I was like, hold on, this is, this is nonsense. Like if they're giving me interviews and offers, then they clearly want me to be here. Um, and I think like even in my undergrad when I had an offer for Birmingham it was even a reduced offer because at the time I think they wanted A star AA and they offered me three A's so like they were giving me all the signs to be like yeah we want you here but it was me in my head being like no 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 I can't do it Um, so especially medicine wise like I had to get rid of that mentality um, because it wasn't it wasn't serving me so yeah I wish yeah. I wish it was people like you around when I was <laughs> well there's another quote for that <laughs> I saw something you can tell I'm a quote person but I saw something um, on Instagram and it was something like be the person who the younger you would have wanted so that's another thing that I try to do like in all areas wow. of my life even if it's mm. not like in university even with like family and friends like I've got a brother who's the year younger than me but I always kind of wanted like an older sister or older cousin or something female who Mm. I could like talk to about things which I didn't have so like now with everybody like usually friends and family and stuff who are like of that age I'm like right I'm gonna be your big sister even if you don't want me to be (laughs) because I needed that um so those are like two quotes which I try and remind myself um a lot of because these big universities are giving you offers and you're doubting yourself like it just doesn't make any sense if you actually think about it like these people see students all the time Cool. Well, in addition to obviously you being a medical student, we know that you're the co-founder of ACMM. Um, we just want to sort of find out what inspired you to start ACMM. Mm, so that's like quite a funny one. Um, and I guess it kind of, my co-founder, so my co-founder Shaquila, um, she studies at Barts in her final year. Um, and she reminded me of this the other day that I, when we started ACMM, I actually hadn't got any offers for medicine yet. <laughs> Um, and I'd always kind of wanted to do something for black students. I guess, again, it's like what I was saying before about wanting something that you didn't have. Um, I felt like when I applied to medical school, luckily at my school, like I did have support, um, but talking to peers, talking to people at interviews, um, 
and just meeting people kind of through my journey, I realized that that was not universal at all. Um, especially if you go to like a state school, especially if you live in an area where there's like a high proportion of black people, like, you know, all the stats that are kind of working against us. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, I want to do something. Um, and I've had that idea for a while. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, my best friend sent me Shaquilla's tweet. So Shaquilla was looking for basically black students to help get into medicine. And she got like a huge response. Um, and I messaged her because at the time I was applying for graduate medicine and I was like, I am getting in touch. Like, obviously I would love your help. Um, but I kind of want to start doing this as a thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just my upbringing. Like I grew up in, um, Brixton and I just, yeah, I just wanted to give people opportunities basically. Um, and I felt like the black community would really kind of need it and kind of do well, um, from having the opportunity. Cause I felt like there was so much and there is so much untapped potential, so the potential is always there, but it's your circumstances that sometimes stop you from achieving that. So yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, if I can bridge the gap by giving these these students opportunities, getting them teaching, getting them courses, then they're more likely to succeed. Um, and so far it's been really successful. So, yeah. I think it's really amazing how you started this, even though before you, you even had an offer in medical school. Um, and it's wonderful to see how ACMM has grown because like you said, there is so much... There's a, there's a massive gap in terms of having African and Caribbean students having mentorship. Um, most most of us go to we live in quite you know product areas that have large populations of black black people, and the schools that we go to don't always seem to cater for our needs. Mm. Um, yeah. We don't even see people around us who are from this sort of from a medical background who can mm. give us insight. We not not all of us are lucky to have parents who are doctors. Mm of our peers so to have a group like ACMM who can mentor people help people with applications run workshops I think is really amazing we need more more stuff like this I saw a tweet um earlier this week and somebody was saying how they read a personal statement from a black student um I think they're a medic like a medical student as well and they were just they were just kind of shocked about how like the standard of it and their teachers are actually saying yeah your personal statement's good to go and yes I um, said that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then that just made me laugh because um, I'm obviously a mentor with you guys as well. I'm mentoring like my third person with you guys. And I'm just like, you guys give us so much guidance on how to do it. So I was a- actually able to really support my um, my mentee with her application. And it's just like, there are organizations out there like that can allow people to develop to such a good standard. And like he was saying, he doesn't know if, if are the teachers tired or do they just not care? But it's just mm. a shame that we don't have that essentially and we need mm-hmm. like people like you and your amazing organization to support these applicants because yeah. they don't really yeah they don't really know who to turn to and it's our mm. responsibility I think yeah yeah definitely and like I said like I think I was just lucky in the school I went to um but even then I think as well the reason we focused on black students is because again we have just a very unique experience and it was giving the students not only someone to help with the application but someone else that can answer their questions and they can relate to so they can look at them and be like oh actually like they're like me they understand me I don't have to explain myself um for them to kind of get it um and that was like really important to us because I think I've had like really random times where I've realized how important representation is um like even my younger cousin who is I think he's 11 now but he was watching Operation Ouch um and oh, it was Dr. Wong. Yeah, yeah, and it was Dr. Wong who he cared about. And then even in EastEnders, he only cared about, not only cared, but like would always be like, oh, I want to be like, I think it was when um, Richard Blackwood was in it. And he was like, I just want to be like Vincent. Even though Vincent was doing rubbish, I just want to be like him. And it's like, you can see like from a young <laughs> age how important it is to have people that look like him because those are the only people who he could see himself in and relate to um so that's why like we take it like really really seriously um and again like just giving students things that we kind of would have wanted when we um when we were applying as well um and another reason why like all our stuff is free um when it helps students get into medicine is because like when I was applying there was a lot of courses and stuff available but they were like hundreds of pounds um for a course on like interview workshops or Mm -hmm. like navigating that application um and that just wasn't that wasn't going to happen for me so um that also puts in quite a big barrier so 
anything that like helps students get into medicine is free um as well so yeah a lot of the time when we are talking about um kind of the minority of or the small number of black students in medicine mm-hmm. um i think it's about three percent but um we don't actually realize when you break it down and you look at kind of the background of those students it's actually predominantly african and you're caribbean is that correct yeah yeah so i wanted to know what your thoughts are in terms of like because we know like the the number of black students are small but the number of caribbean students within that are are even smaller and you and your mm-hmm. co-founder are, you're representing in a way yeah yeah definitely and that's something I did notice especially like during my biomedical science degree even that like kind of coming into ACS and stuff like there was just not a lot of um Caribbean students at all and then talk less of medicine um but I think it's just encouraging encouraging the students and again like that positive representation so like myself and my co-founder like we play mass each well we didn't have carnival this year but like we play mass each year and like we're very proud of our Caribbean heritage and we are excited that like students then can see us and be like oh like I'm Jamaican too I'm Guyanese too like I can um I can do this and there's also like a British Caribbean doctors network which is kind of just starting up as well um so there's kind of connections there for for students to see um but yeah it's really nice and I, I have found that um during like my medicine career that people like as well I think I look Caribbean so people don't really assume um anything else but kind of people ask and there's still like I guess a bit of ignorance everyone just thinks that everybody Caribbean is Jamaican um and things like that so um yeah but then I guess the same with Africa people say oh yeah they're African like or they're from Africa like the whole continent so there's like there's a lot of, there's a long way to go um definitely but we hope that we can yeah inspire students who are kind of even closer to to us definitely obviously like we know about the Windrush um, nurses who came over so like mm. uh, Caribbeans are in healthcare but for some reason I don't know where that kind of um, like we've got so many in nursing but it would be nice for like more Caribbean doctors to just be like we're here too but yeah that network sounds amazing yeah definitely like I found that because like I think everybody I know who is Caribbean their parents or grandparents at some point were nurses like my grandma was a nurse um as well like that definitely came kind of from the Windrush generation and I guess at the time um they maybe didn't have the opportunity I mean if we're struggling for opportunity now like talk less of when my grandma came over here how many years ago um so I think there probably was an opportunity or representation to come through um but I do know um my grandparents had a friend called Dr Agri Burke who was the first um black psychiatrist consultant psychiatrist in the UK as well so there are people I think they're just not as um as well known yeah yeah I think it's great that you and your co-founder both have like Caribbean backgrounds because you can provide a different perspective as well yeah yeah definitely um it's yeah it's it's nice and it's nice to see kind of Caribbean students and they'll ask like different questions and plus like so many of the Caribbean islands are so small that I'm like we're probably related <laughs> at some point we're probably related like especially so my mum's side's Guyanese and um I don't know if you've heard of Dr Samantha Tross um she's yeah. a consultant I think orthopedics yeah so she's Guyanese as well and I had like my great aunt who's like 86 calling me telling me about all the connections back to her and I was like you wow. know I don't have time for this but <laughs> <Like>, it's, <laughs> it's interesting but like why are you telling me yeah no like especially the small island countries it's like we're probably cousins at some point (laughs) which is nice I've seen that on your website you have the study abroad networks can you tell us a bit more about that I thought that was quite interesting yeah so um we've always kind of had study abroad reps because we feel like um there's so many students who obviously want to study medicine and I think like if you're not successful the first round it's usually okay take a gap year or um do it as graduate um but graduate like I've said like there's only a certain number of of universities do it it is really 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 competitive and I think in the first instance a lot of students don't really consider studying abroad um they think it's like a final final resort um and actually there's a lot of students who in the first instance were like right like I want to do my um medical or dental degree abroad um so this year we had um two study abroad um representatives during the team so Naomi and Nana um and between them they thought like you know what this is really needed and this is a really good idea 
Um, so they basically kind of manage that. And we've got students from quite a few um, countries abroad who kind of contribute think tank posts, take over the Instagram story. Um, and I think just put like studying abroad on the map as an option um, for prospective students, because I don't, I'd, I never, ever considered it um, and didn't know it was an option at the time. Um, who knows? I might have kind of pursued that route. So again, like, we just want to make sure that students are aware of kind of all the options available to them. Um, and then also to give back to those students studying abroad, because I mean, in England, a lot of the time we're one of like two or three black students. So I'm sure kind of in these different countries, it's also harder. Um, and there's like varying degrees of racism and all of these different things that they've got to um, navigate as well. So kind of having those study abroad networks works two ways. So it helps our future students, but also provides a community for students studying abroad as well. Um, and they can kind of get tips from each other and support each other as well. So that's kind of how that's how that's progressed. Yeah. I think that's really useful because when I was applying for medicine, I only know of a couple of people. I actually know of only one person who went abroad to study. Mm. Um, and it wasn't something that was really talked about. It wasn't and it wasn't on most people's radars. I know a lot of my friends and a lot of people that I went to college with wanted to do medicine and maybe didn't get meet the requirements. Mm. Um and actually studying abroad, you know, opens your eyes to so many things. You have to study in a wonderful country for example if you go to a really hot country like cyprus or malta mm. you learn language you learn all these new life skills i wish it was something that a couple of years ago was was widely spoken about but i'm really glad that ADMM has a network for students who are studying abroad mm. to help open up people's minds and make them more aware about the alternative routes into getting yeah. into doing medicine as well as provide some sort of community support for people in in these different countries because it's not easy it's not easy being in like Lancaster that's a small city mm. let alone in a different country where they speak a different language yeah. and they probably hardly see foreigners yeah no, no definitely um and I think like the language it's just an amazing amazing opportunity and I think as well because of well, I suppose because of COVID and like being a student and stuff like we get to our main for most students anyway kind of their elective is where they get to travel um and besides that you might not travel into a f3 f4 year um but if you can you know live in another country for five five years um and like you said learn a language have a completely different experience like i'm sure it's really really enriching as well um so yeah hopefully more students start to consider it absolutely um another thing that both myself and Moyo really I think we we were both talking about it, it before <laughs> we absolutely love it it's the black student survival guide the yes. ebook yeah we were amazing absolutely an amazing idea I think Moyo even contributed to um Lancaster's yeah yeah you know what I remember you did because <laughs> I remember speaking about it like with the team like okay what unis are we missing and I guessed Lancaster because I thought, ah, oh, there's probably not a lot of black students there. And they were like, no, what contribute? I was like, oh my gosh, who? <laughs> because like, I knew certain places it would be kind of easier um, compared to obviously, yeah, thank you so much. Listen, so much I need to... I need to let people know what they're coming into. <laughs> yeah, not that they not that they don't pick Lancaster, but just like you know, okay, I can't I can't get this in Lancaster, or um, mm. I might, yeah, I might I might not be able to get this, so let me get this from home when I'm coming, or okay, this isn't the kind of thing there. So, um, mm. I, we were just saying how it's kind of like um, a prospectus, but for black people because there are things like they would say oh on our campus we have um hairdressers and then we were thinking hairdressers for whom like <laughs> Tony and Guy and then you'll walk past there you know sometimes with a hairdresser is like trying to get people to come into their shop yeah and then you walk past and they never say anything. it's only if you're walking in Peckham that happens mm, like everyone will come <laughs> oh my gosh that is funny um but yeah no that's that's been a really really big thing um that I'm super proud of because I just had the I had the idea I think like around like June July and I was like oh this would be good because again like it's something that I would have wanted when I came to Birmingham luckily Birmingham like is the next biggest city is quite multicultural mm. um not in the medical school but like in the city <laughs> so it's really it was relatively easy to find places to go and there's a big ACS and all of that sort of stuff but it's just all of these things that we have to consider that I think um sometimes can hinder our experience um and I know for me when I first started 
I was like, whoa, okay, there's not a lot of black people. Where am I going to get those amenities? Where am I going to get my food? When am I going to get my hair done? Um, and you really have to do the extra work. And I suppose for me growing mm. up, up in London, I grew up in Brixton, so I never had to do that because my whole community was black and my mm. whole community, you know, largely was um, kind of Caribbean. So I never had to do that. And when I came to uni, I was like, whoa. And then I'm like, I'm in Birmingham. Like, talk less of people who are further up north or just in kind of really white areas. So kind of we had the idea and I was like, this is kind of my vision. This is how I want it to be. Um, And then Naomi on the team basically put everything together. Shaquille, like, proofread everyone's entries. And obviously we had so many people contribute as well. Um, And that was really nice because I think when I put out the idea, I was like, you know, I hope you get a couple of people who who want to help. And I think I was kind of gearing up to us having to cultivate most of it ourselves. And then we had a huge response um, of people who wanted to get involved. So that was really, really nice as well um, to get things, to get things going. Um, and yeah, I think it's been, it's been helpful to students definitely um, because it just answers all those, those questions, which we need, we need to know before we kind of move yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one thing I liked that um, you asked us when we were filling out like the forms and stuff was just kind of people's experience of racism because you can't really yeah. like okay, I think this is a black thing like when you travel to another country that's not predominantly black like you have to think about are people in this country racist so that's like where the whole kind of white privilege thing comes in like you can just go on holiday you don't have to think oh is anybody gonna like kind of ostracize Uh me or like attack me because Mm -hmm. of my skin so like I'm ranking jobs now at the moment and I'm just trying to think like okay (laughs) where is multicultural because that's going higher up Uh on the list compared to somewhere that's not as multicultural just in terms of amenities Uh but obviously I want to be in a community where there are people like me who understand what I'm going through as well so I think like that's important for people applying to med schools too because like you can go oh I don't know somewhere like yeah I'll take our med school for example like a lot of people wouldn't know that your placements aren't actually in Lancaster but you're going to very rural areas I see people staring at my path like on my head and it's just like things like that just to be aware of mentally so it doesn't really like Mm -hmm. like get to you essentially so yeah yeah. Does yeah. it also shock you when you arrive? I think the biggest thing is moving to a new area and not knowing what is there or not knowing who the how the people will react to mm. seeing someone different. Um or if I want to buy like I don't know, plantain or something, I have to catch a train, one hour train. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I mean it makes a difference those are the things that that make you feel home. They're the, those yeah. things that make you feel comfortable. And, you know, if you can't get your hair products, well, your hair's falling out now. Like, it, that's what will happen. It's, it's, it's serious. And the racism thing is, is a big thing because I've had people suggest, obviously, white people have been like, oh, like, for elective, like, where are you going to go? Like, I'm thinking to go to Russia. I said, what business do I have <laughs> in Russia or yeah. Poland or these places? Like, I have to really kind of psych myself up and think about, okay, what is the experience I'm going to have there? Um, and I remember my brother plays basketball and we went to watch him in Macedonia for one year and that was a mad experience because everyone was staring like they weren't even trying to hide that they were staring um, and different things like that so yeah hopefully within medical schools that it can kind of prepare people but it was quite sad I think as well like reading through it that so many people have had really similar and hard experiences um, at university I think that was quite sad but you know it's realistic and I wish I knew what I was coming into um when I before I started so yeah for anyone listening um where can they get a hold of the book yeah so it is on our website on the homepage. you can click a direct link in our Instagram and Twitter also our socials basically um you can you can find it on um pay hip if you go on our instagram it's like a link tree so the first link is black student survival guide ebook um and then you can get it there and download it on computer and you can have it forever um and we're hopefully going to do an edition each year just as we update it and kind of get more contributors and make sure we get like as new unis and stuff pop up um Mm. so yeah it's definitely worth people people getting 100 percent. that's that's really good to all our listeners out there, if you're a medical student in the UK, I highly recommend that you get this book, especially if you're applying as well. 
it will help you with your application process to think about which medical schools will suit me and which areas would I fit into yeah because these are things that actually will affect your mental health you don't think it but when you get to medical school and you realize that oh I'm one of few it can actually affect you mentally so Mm. I definitely recommend everyone to get this book being the co-founder of ACMM and also being a podcaster Mm -hmm. how do you maintain oh and a medical student (laughs) how do you maintain um, a work-life balance oh um so this is something I've kind of got better at as the years went on um I had one year I think it was in my biomedical science degree when I was applying to medicine that I just took on too much and I burnt out like I was I was finished and that's how I used to run up until like maybe two years ago, I used to just do everything and then burn out and then do everything and burn out. Um, so now I say no um, quite a lot. Um, if I'm at capacity, I'm just like, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. Whereas I used to be a yes man before. So now I say no a lot, um, which definitely, definitely helps. Um, I also take myself for hotel breaks every roughly about six weeks um, because it's a change of scenery. I don't do anything no one can bother me, my phone's on do not disturb. So I do that quite a lot. Um, And then also like in my timetable, I make time for rest, which is something I never used to do. Um, So I used to like on a Monday at five o'clock, if I didn't have anything to do, I'd find something to do like, oh, let me study or let me do this for ACMM or whatever. But actually I'd be like, no, like this is your rest time. Um, And I make sure kind of I commit to that. Um, And then just spending time with like family and friends, like, I'm I'm really I really love them so (laughs) I always try and make time to like call people or go home for the weekend um so yeah and and generally speaking apart from like maybe two hours on a Sunday I have weekends off as well so Saturday and Sunday is for me to do whatever I want I won't study on those days as well so yeah generally speaking that's how I manage things but it's always a work in progress because (laughs) yeah near deadlines and stuff it gets a bit peak but yeah do you know what I think those tips I'm going to implement in my life because I'm all for treating myself so I think from now on I'm going to be taking hotel breaks as well honestly it is amazing like I only the first time I did it was for my birthday so a year ago that's the first time I did it yeah um someone says why don't you just go to a hotel and I was like why would I want to do that like that's boring and I did it (laughs) and I was like oh my gosh this is mad when you're in a hotel it kind of feels wrong to work in a hotel because like you know what I'm yeah. doing this <laughs> oh gosh, so yeah. yeah and the, actually timetabling rest is something that I am very bad at doing yeah. I, I'm always like trying to always trying to squeeze in extra things into my evenings even if I should be resting so I think that's another good top tip actually mm-hmm. timetabling rest within your days yeah because I'm like so another thing I suppose with that is like I'm I'm really well organized. Like I make sure that if it's not on my Google Calendar, I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to remember mm. because I think that takes pressure off my brain having to remember things. Mm. If I could just look somewhere and everything's there, um, yeah. but also making sure rest is there um, because rest is rest is also very productive. Like yes, if you don't rest, then you'll just burn out. And I did that yeah. so many times. So <laughs> I don't want to go back there. <laughs> Thank you. I think to everyone listening as well I hope that you take on these tips on board you know timetable rest they're not just for your mental health but for your physical health you're sleeping make sure you get your sleep your eight hours of sleep is important your body needs to recuperate at night times when your body rests that's when um your your brain is forming new neural connections so give it to them (laughs) no no that's actually true and that's another thing actually I don't I don't compromise my sleep. Like mm. I always will have my, I need eight to nine hours. Yeah. Um, and I will always, always have that. If I don't, it's for like one day for a special occasion. And then I'll get it the next day. Like try not to compromise on sleep as well. That is, do you know what? When I was in med school, I used to run on like five to six hours of sleep. Mm. I think and I, thought that was, I thought it was healthy until yeah. I started work. Now, 9pm, I'm in my bed ready to fall asleep. <laughs> no, it's needed. And I think it's the culture of medical school. Like, oh, yeah, I'm revising. Like, no sleep. No yeah. Sleep. But it's not, it's not sustainable. Like, it's not. when you'll crash. So, Mm-mm. yeah. And also, when I think about it, I'm like, actually, in those days when I was working till late, late night, was I being productive? Was I, mm-hmm. I was messing about half of the time. I wasn't mm-hmm. actually doing any work. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, definitely, definitely. Like it's that cliche thing of like working smarter than harder. Mm-hmm. So, like I will optimize my time during the day. And then mm-hmm. if I'm tired and I'm trying to study, I'll just be like, Money, just do this when you're not tired because mm-hmm. you end up being so slow. Like Yes. <laughs> so it's just worth li- and it's just worth listening to your body as well. Like it does no best sometimes. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on our um Black History Month special podcast episode. Would ha- we actually have so many more questions that we'd love to ask you, but because of time we're unable to. I'm sure we'll get you back on the podcast for another episode. Um, you've been so great to talk to and you've shared so many great insights about um, African Caribbean medical mentors. You've shared some great insights about resting and also your journey into medicine. Mm. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Like, I really enjoyed this. So yeah, I'll, I can be back whenever. <laughs> this is welcome. You <laughs> felt like you were just like the third co-host. I'm not going to lie. I know. <laughs> But um, for those who want to follow African Caribbean medical mentors and find out more about your work, where can they find you? Yeah, so our website has like, if you're applying or you're a current student or a doctor, like everything, all the opportunities available for you will be there. So that's www.acmedicalmentors.co.uk. Um, Twitter and Instagram are the same, AC Medical Mentors. And then it's our full name on Facebook and LinkedIn. So African Caribbean Medical Mentors. Um, and yeah that's the best place to find us find out about what we do um, and yeah get involved so make sure you guys follow the socials and stuff also because you're a podcaster do you want to plug in your podcast socials yeah yeah so uh, my podcast is available on spotify and soundcloud those are kind of the main ones that people use um so it is um at generation medicine um, on Twitter, it is Jen underscore Medic, and it's the same on Instagram as well. So yeah, stay tuned for that as well. Thank you for listening to this recent episode. Remember to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Leave a like and comment. Follow us on our socials at Simply Medics on Instagram and Twitter, or drop us an email, simplymedics at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of your week, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>